We're reading here in Ephesians chapter 4 about various giftings, and it's their relation to the body. And we see this throughout Scripture, uh, the idea that each of us have different gifts and commensurate callings with those gifts. And one of the callings that people have in today's day and age, but it's certainly not a new calling, is the calling of teacher. I was visiting with my aunt the other day, uh, who is uh, retired from teaching, and I know uh, many other people in my family who have had time as a teacher, and it struck me in speaking to her about uh, some of the things that have been going on with uh, my cousin, her daughter, who's a teacher, and various others who have been in teaching, what a challenge it is to be a teacher, how difficult that it is. Uh, not simply in today's day and age, but I'm sure at all different times. And uh, I know that firsthand because I know how difficult it was to teach me at various times in my life. How difficult it was to teach me for my mother when I was just filled with uh, ADD and energy and wouldn't pay much attention to what was going on. And then I think back as well for how much how difficult it was to teach me when I was in high school and then in college and then in law school and was eager to share my opinions on every subject. I still remember a law school professor who said, and he said this to the class, which I found very amusing. He said, uh, I love when Mr. Magnuson makes any comment in class because immediately 10 angry hands go up next to 10 angry faces. And uh, he enjoyed it, uh, but I'm not sure all of my other professors did. Although one professor did I remember say, you know, m me and all the other econ professors talk about grading your tests all the time and how much we love grading your tests and having you in our classes. Because all those doodles that you do, all the little jokes you put in there, they're really hilarious. We talk about it all the time. And I remember thinking, well, if that's the case, why do I have a 2.2 GPA in this major? And then I realized that may be still evidence of them liking me to even give me that grade. You know, you never know. I, perhaps I deserved even worse. But knowing how difficult I was to teach and knowing how difficult it is to teach in these times, it was a reminder of the blessing that it is to have people who are gifted in teaching and who are desirous of teaching. And certainly we see here the necessity of evangelists, prophets, pastors, and teachers in the church. And each of these different roles are different forms of teaching. Teaching in different ways, in different, uh, in different roles, but they're all of a teaching context. And yet, I think it's a good uh, thing to remember why these roles are necessary, what, what they're for, what the necessity of these roles is, because it's necessary for us to realize this both in terms of why we need teaching and why we ourselves in teaching need to be reliant on the Spirit of God. So we're going to get into this. We're going to be talking about uh, teachers and specifically teachers and the process of attempting to impart maturity, to impart maturity to Christians. And before we get into this, let's pray. Dear Lord, I thank you for this uh, passage. Lord, I thank you for all of the people uh, that have uh, come through this pulpit over the years who have greatly uh, ministered 
in instructing uh, me and us in your word. Lord, I pray tonight that you would bless uh, the words from my mouth, that they would be of you. And Lord, I pray that you would bless all of us to learn from your word what you would have to teach us tonight. In your name, amen. Now, the first thing I want to note here in Ephesians chapter 4 is that there's a very strong focus. There was a very strong focus on unity. And this is essential because this is the context in which we're learning about teaching. We're learning about the necessity of the work of apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. And what is their purpose? Well, their purpose is uh, the reason that they were appointed, we see here in chapter, in chapter 4, verse 12, for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. Now, this isn't surprising. We know that the work of a teacher is to build up, to edify, to build up in knowledge, but also to build up in character, to build up in judgment, to build up in wisdom, in short, to build up, to, uh, to uh, allow and help a child to grow. And we also know that as Christians, that when we are first uh, born into the faith, when we are born again, this is used as an analogy throughout Scripture, that we are children. And sometimes we have what's called arrested development. We may stay children for a very long time. And the necessity of a teacher is to try to encourage encourage growth. We see that reflected in Scripture where there's a description, and this is something that is wise for us to use as teachers. I know as a Sunday school teacher, this has been something that I have had to learn, is that as a teacher, you need to learn how to impart not only what is necessary for the children for their growth, but also that is appropriate for their age and understanding level. I think any one of you who has ever spent any time teaching Sunday school or anything of that nature, there are times in which perhaps you want to teach certain a certain concept from Scripture and you realize, oh, I have to go back several levels and to teach an even more basic concept because they will have no chance of grasping a more advanced concept until they understand a more basic concept. But the fact is that God has given us spiritual gifts for a specific purpose. Now, again, edifying, building up, perfecting of the saints. And what is the next... Uh, there's not a period at the end of that sentence. There's a, uh, there's a colon... Continuing the thought, till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. The reason we teach, the reason we preach, the reason we use our spiritual gifts is to help and build up one another. And it's to help and build up one another that we may be more perfectly united and that we may be more perfectly functional as a unified body of Christ. Now, I think each one of us perhaps can also understand this in terms of an analogy. Each one of us perhaps have taught in different ways, depending on what we're teaching and the importance of the subject that we're teaching, and the application of the subject to us. Now, I have been on various sports teams. 
And I will tell you that in the uh, time before big games, games that our people are really looking forward to, the teaching and the specific instruction ramps up far more than it does before much smaller, less important games. There's playoff baseball going on right now. I guarantee the scouting reports that are being put together, they may be the same type of scouting reports that were put together for a midseason game in the middle of July, but they are being studied in a different way. And not only are they being studied in, the, in a different way, but all of the teammates are trying to help each other, trying to give tips, trying to give hints, trying to help each other out, because each one of those teammates understands that any teaching that they can do that improves even marginally the work of a teammate will improve the results of the team. This is something that makes sense. In the same way, each one of you perhaps has seen the difference in teaching uh, perhaps uh, something in terms of character to your own children versus to somebody else. You may see a child running at church or doing something naughty at church and say, now you shouldn't do that. You teach with a different fervor, with a different zeal, when it's your own child that you not only feel responsibility for, but that you have a greater love for. And when we are seeing here that this is not only a gifting, but a calling, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers, this is something that obviously ought to be the heart uh, uh, desire and heart duty uh, and the responsibility felt by those who are uh, taking these on. And again, this is something for each of us to understand because each one of us has teaching functions at various times. Even if we are not apostles, even if we are not pastors, we are teachers at different times. Even when we are called to spread the gospel, which all of us are called to do, we are fulfilling, at times, a teaching role. When we are called to exhort one another, we are called to have a teaching role. This is a role that each one of us needs to fulfill. Now, but why is this role so necessary? Well, this role is so necessary because, again, as I, as I said earlier, the analogy is that we are children. But I'm going to go even further and mention something uh, something that has been brought up to me by numerous people. There are people that have said to me on more than one occasion, why are Christians so gullible? Why are Christians so gullible? And they're not speaking in terms of the tenets of the faith. They're talking about Christians in terms of perhaps business affairs, other things of uh, that nature. I wouldn't say in my own experience that Christians are more gullible than others. However, we do have to understand that we as Christians base our entire lives or are called to base our entire lives on faith, the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. And furthermore, we are called and we ought to behave in love, one for another. And as a result, sometimes it is true that Christians can be very trusting of one another. Trusting, in fact, at times, even to a fault. And we know that this is not a modern problem, although I think it certainly is a very, very uh, difficult problem in our modern Christian life. 
But this is a problem that has been going on from the very beginning, from the very earliest days of the church. Jesus was talking about wolves in sheep's clothing. Now this is something that has has boggled my mind in thinking about this. When you read this and think about the context. Jesus was talking about wolves in sheep's clothing. We see that uh, in the times of Paul, people were claiming to do miracles in the name of Jesus Christ. We know that people were trying to buy the power of God to some extent, or trying to were being false teachers even then. And it's very strange because when you think about what the church's status and standing was back then, it's one thing when you have a church that at times during the Middle Ages was the richest, most educated, most powerful force in your particular nation or civilization. I think a thing that I think we can all see historically was very corrupting for the church. But it's very simple to see at that time why unscrupulous people would say, if that's where all the money is, if the bishops are the ones wearing the fanciest outfits and having the most money and the most sway over the populace, then I want to get in on that. And certainly we see during that time, because of the power, it did draw some very unscrupulous people. But even in this earliest of times, when Christians were being oppressed almost anywhere they were, when they were being cast out of cities, there were people who were attempting to uh, make merchandise of the people. There were people who were attempting to identify with Christians to lead them astray, false teachers. Now, what did they get out of it? What did they get out of it? Well, I think we see throughout the New Testament that usually they were doing it for their own economic benefit. And this is something that we certainly see in today's day and age. My father used to say that the, uh, the worst examples sometimes of Christianity were the people who advertised most publicly their Christianity in connection with their businesses. He said sometimes the most unethical lawyers he came across were the ones who had the most Christian allusions and language in their public advertisement. You know, hire the Christian lawyer. Often they were doing that uh, they were doing that for commercial gain. But we see this in a lot of different ways. I've, uh, I've I had various uh, experiences and heard various stories from friend of my, friends of mine in church about the people who get into a church body and uh, engage in all sorts of things that perhaps benefit themselves and are to the detriment of other people. This is not a new situation. And yet... We also see that there were other people who did it for their own glory, for their own fame. There are those who did it simply to attempt to draw people into a different doctrine that wasn't correct. The fact is that as Christians, as Christians who rely on faith, Christians who have lives based on things that cannot be seen, that believe in unity and love and trust with fellow believers, we are the target of people who want to take advantage of us. We are the target of that. Which is why it was held up so often in Scripture, the example of those who were studious in the Word, who spent time in the Word to ensure that they were not 
taken away by, by new doctrines, by new heresies, by new things, even studying people who were actually apostles, studying to ensure that what they said was biblical. That's something that is, is important for us to know. We're going to get into that in a second. But the point is that this is the danger. This is the necessity for us to be, uh, to be knowledgeable, to be wise, and to be on our guard. Now, there's so many passages in Scripture about false teachers. There's so many that it is very incumbent upon us to take that to heart and take that warning seriously. Now, one thing I want to get into as well as we're talking about the danger is that when we're reading about false teachers, it's important for us to think very carefully about what that means. When, when I think of false teachers, I generally think of people that I very instantly recognize as false teachers. Specifically, those who have a doctrine or a background that is very different from mine. Really? Right? That is what we think of. When we think of false teachers, we think of people who are saying things that are very different. And yet, most of the time in these early churches, these were people who were coming in and were difficult to recognize. These were people who were coming in and were assuming a, uh, a uh, similarity, who were uh, uh, fitting in fairly easily, who in fact were clothed as sheep. This is something that is important for us to um, think about because I think sometimes, I know for myself, sometimes it's easy for me to assume that I will be able to uh, quickly uh, see and identify false teachers or people that are uh, charlatans or people that are uh, working in some, uh, some wicked way, even if uh, some of their doctrine is accurate. And yet, as we've seen, uh, there are many examples of those who, it's shocking when we find out what their lives are truly about, where their hearts, what their hearts are truly filled with, and what their, uh, their practice actually is. And, and there's been multiple examples over the years of people where I've, I, the really terrible things have come out, and I've thought, wow, I got so much out of this, I'm shocked that that person could have been uh, living in this way. Well, this is all the danger. This is all the danger, and it's not a danger that is uh, exclusive to what we would call new believers. This is a danger for each one of us. Now, what is our responsibility? What, what is the point of this passage? The point of this passage is that each one of us ought to be edifying one another. And one of the most important methods of edification, one of the important roles of a teacher, is this edification so that maturation and growth may occur for the purpose of a unification and strength and wisdom and knowledge shared by the body so that it may be effective. I thought this was, uh, I thought this was really a beautiful picture here in verses 15 and 16. Speaking the truth in love 
may grow up into him in all things, which is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplieth, according to the effectual working in the measure of every part, making increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. We are building, as it were, a body through the power of God, through the grace of Jesus Christ, that is going to fit into the head, fit with the head of Jesus Christ. And we want that body to be fitly joined. We don't want a body. The head, our head, Jesus Christ, is perfect, perfectly formed. And our body, our desire is that the body of Christ be fitly joined with that head. And in order for that to occur, it is our our job, our responsibility, and our joy, really, to, in love, encourage others in the truth. It is also our responsibility, ourselves, to not be tossed to and fro. In other words, we are, like many parts of Scripture, on both sides of this. We have a responsibility to be no more children tossed to and fro, carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and cunning craftiness, whereby they lie in wait to deceive. But it is also our responsibility to speak the truth in love. Let Let me take each of those in turn. The first, and this is something that is the more important, because often this is something that we don't see as a need or necessity of us. I know for myself... This was a good reminder to me of this necessity. That each one of us have a responsibility to be no more children. To be no more children. To be in malice be children, but in understanding be men. That is a responsibility that we have. And the way that occurs is not simply by aging. And the way that occurs is not simply by the amount of time we have had biblical principles enter into our ears or into our minds. This is a, a process that requires dedication. That requires perseverance. And it is a ne- never-ending process. Because I know, as I get older, there is memory that fades. Even if we have memorized Scripture in the past, even if we have dedicated ourselves to reading Scripture in the past, If we are not continually renewing, then we are losing that knowledge. We are losing that edification. Furthermore, it is upon us to continually be searching the scriptures and being renewed in our minds. Renewed in our minds through the power and grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. That is something that Uh, uh, is necessary, that we don't become stagnant, that we are continually uh, being renewed. Now, this is something, if we bring this down to the application stage, means that our, uh, our desire is to grow ourselves, to grow in knowledge. And that knowledge must always, wherever we're getting it, be at bottom being checked against the word of Jesus Christ. Being checked against the word of God. That's necessary because as soon as we start thinking that we stand, we've got to take heed lest we fall. 
That's a simple thing. That's a simple truth. But it's a truth we always have to be reminded of. And the instant we think we don't need much more uh, education, that we don't need much more knowledge, we are going to be in danger. Because it's very easy for us to look at this and say, well, listen, I'm not a child being tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine. In fact, I haven't changed my view of doctrine in 30 years. I've had the same understanding of doctrine. Guess what? That is absolutely no guarantee against being carried away by the cunning craftiness and the slight of man. It is absolutely no guarantee. The amount of Christians who have spent many years under good, godly preaching and then have started listening to something different and something new and have been carried away, it's absolutely, absolutely an important reminder of how that can happen to us. And by the way, carried away with doctrine doesn't simply mean abandoning the principles that you've had before. It doesn't simply mean at one time saying, you know what, I think that this is wrong according to Scripture. And then next year you listen to a couple podcasts and you say, I think it's right. There's a whole host of ways in which the devil loves to use the Word of God when we are not being uh, seeking after him and seeking after his righteousness and seeking after his wisdom and hungering and thirsting for his truth. When we are not doing that, there are so many ways that the devil can use truth in a way that leads to error. I think the simplest way, the simplest way that the devil loves to do this is if we are not actually craving his truth and we are not being renewed, is simply starting to get truth out of balance. That's the simplest way for somebody who knows about Scripture. I, I know that that's been a temptation for me. There are certain, I've, I've mentioned this before, there are certain parts of the Bible where I read and I go, absolutely, and I'm taking mental notes for next time I can talk to somebody else who needs to hear about this part. And then there's others that are balancing truths that are a little bit more difficult for me. And I say, well, there's exceptions to those. And I can remember this verse over here, which says why I don't have to do this verse over here in certain situations. That is something that the devil likes to do, is to get us to take truth out of bounds, to focus so much on one area of truth to the exclusion of other areas of truth that we are flying on one wing. In other words, this is a constant process. We are to be constant students of the word. We are to be constant constantly seeking out, not just from the scripture itself, but from teachers, but from evangelists, from pastors, to be renewed ourselves in the spirit of God. However, we are also on the other side of this. We are also, if we are, uh, if we are saved, especially as we get older, we are called to teach, perhaps from behind a pulpit, perhaps our children, perhaps other people that we are in contact with, perhaps a teaching type of role in a Bible study. Each one of us needs to think, are there ways in which I am teaching about the Lord? And if not, if I haven't taught, done any teaching about the Lord, what is that saying about my relationship with God? Okay? This is something that we are called to do. We're called to speak the truth in love. 
We are called to do that, whether that's in an organized fashion or whether that is uh, in ordinary day-to-day conversation with fellow believers or with unbelievers. Now, what is it that is essential about this teaching function? Well, the first thing I would say is that when we are ta- Paul is talking here uh, to these people, he's talking to them and telling them to walk worthy of the vocation which they are called, wherewith ye are called, with all lowliness and meekness, with long-suffering, forbearing one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. This is the attitude of the teacher. This is the attitude that we are called to have. Because the purpose of our teaching, the purpose of our teaching is to have a unified, godly, righteous, mature body. That is the purpose. Sometimes teaching becomes a competitive sort of game. Listen, I've got a chance to score a point here, either with such an incredible insight that they're going to be impressed with me, or with such a cutting rebuke that they're going to see how much more righteous I am, or anything else in which our words are truly coming from a heart that is not seeking to build up. That is... That ought to be our motivation. And that motivation comes from a heart of meekness, of long-suffering, of loneliness, of forbearing, of love. That ought to be what our heart is when we are teaching. And this is something that uh, people can often sense. This is something that I've had to uh, uh, be careful about as well. If we are speaking to other people who are not saved about the gospel... In, a, in the sense of condescension, of an enlightened being speaking to an unenlightened being, I think each one of us can recognize that that will uh, often not, do, not be the spirit that is actually accepted. That'll be something that will be resisted. People tend to uh, not like a prideful, uh, a prideful person and prideful words. And so this is something that is uh, usually a stumbling block. This is something that is usually a problem for people to accept. And this is something that we are, called to, we are called to avoid. We are supposed to speak in meekness. We are supposed to approach this teaching in meekness. And often I would say that this is a good, uh, a good method, a good fruit to judge a teacher. If you are listening to a teacher or a preacher or an evangelist and you are really sensing a very strong spirit of pride, of arrogance, of uh, elevation, that's something to take into account. doesn't mean what they're saying is wrong, necessarily. There have been people with very wicked, secret lives who nevertheless were speaking truth. But it is an indication of the trust level you ought to have. This is the attitude that we, have, we ought to have, and the motivation is one of love. The motivation is one of love. We teach because of love. Each one of us understands this. If we've ever taught uh, uh, a child, those of you who are parents, when you've taught your own children, you, you teach them out of love. 
And you are long-suffering with them out of love. And you are desiring to see them learn. Not simply because you are being paid some, you know, some salary to do it. You are doing it because of love. You want to see them grow. You want to see them learn. You want to see them advance. You want to see them be functional and uh, see them be, have opportunity that comes from learning. This is the attitude that we ought to have because when we are teaching, we are teaching our brothers and sisters. Paul, at times, was uh, used the phrase his spiritual children. We are, we are teaching spiritual family members. We are teaching people that we ought to love more, in fact, at times, than our own family. This is something that is a serious bond. And therefore, and we are not only teaching them something perhaps of little consequence. It's one thing if you're trying to teach somebody how to uh, do a whistle with two fingers. It's not that essential. If they don't get it, it's fine. It doesn't really matter. If you are teaching something about uh, something life and death, you are going to be very, very focused on ensuring that they get it. And therefore, when we are speaking the truth in love, when we are teaching in love, when we are teaching out of meekness and loneliness of spirit, we are doing so because we are teaching something that is of the most essential quality and character. We are teaching the, uh, uh, the knowledge of the Son of God. That is what we are teaching. We are teaching how to walk in the way that has been set forth by the scripture. That is what we are called to do. And that is the motivation, is love. That's the motivation. If that motivation is not love, we are not going to be as successful. The motivation is love. And the ultimate aim is unity. The ultimate aim is unity. It's not self-glorification. It's not even uh, learning for the sake of learning. The ultimate aim is unity. And the fact is, of course, that each one of us recognizes that the more shared understanding of Scripture that comes from a filling of the Holy Spirit, the more unity and the more uh, ability to accomplish what God would have us to accomplish. This is something that we do out of love, and that we also do out of self-interest in a sense. This is also something that benefits us. Said another way, this is in fact a detriment to us if we are not seeking to be teachers of the word. It is a detriment to us. It is a detriment to us because number one, it shows in our uh, heart a lack of uh, love for the people around us. And it will also lead to a lack of edifying, a lack of building up of the people around us, which will affect ourselves and our mission as well. I was thinking about this as well in terms of uh, the, uh, the many operations going on in Israel right now. And I was thinking about how much work and planning had to go into any raid to rescue hostages. How much uh, intelligence gathering, how much planning, and how important that is. 
And I would imagine, I haven't been in, sat in on any hostage rescue briefing sessions. You, you'll be surprised to know that. I don't have a secret life as a hostage rescuer. Uh, that's not what I was doing in Moorhead. It was just a boring banking jury trial. Um, but I imagine if you sit in on one of these things, there's a lot of focus. And there's a lot of long-suffering. If somebody doesn't understand, wait, which door am I supposed to be at? There's not a, you'll figure it out. There's a desire, okay, we all need to be on the same page. There's a desire that everyone be educated and learn and all arrive at the same body. One body of, of various different people who are working together to achieve a mission. And then when we think about that in terms of the church, of course, we are compared to armed forces ourselves as a church uh, throughout the scripture. This is the teaching that we ought to do. This is the teaching sort of uh, spirit that ought to animate us. Now, it may not always animate the students. Sometimes we are teaching to people who do not understand the seriousness that we are trying to teach them. I'll tell you what, as a child, and then probably as a grown-up, I didn't always understand the importance of what I was being taught. Sometimes it takes a very special teacher who is able to explain in real-life examples why perhaps learning about certain aspects of mathematics is important. Sometimes I, I remember some of the, the teachers and the, the professors I know in college who I most valued were the ones who actually explained why what we were learning was important rather than just some sort of rote memorization. But this is something that we ought to be focused on as teachers because this is something that impacts the whole body that we are joined to. So, what is our responsibility? Well, our responsibility, as I said, is individually to test every spirit. First John says that. That means is that everything that we are hearing, every idea that is coming into our mind, we're checking against Scripture. And by the way, that isn't simply every spiritual idea. Now, that doesn't mean that every idea we hear, there's an easy answer from Scripture. There's sometimes that we have uh, that idea, but, you know, if somebody gives you some sort of idea on uh, diet or grocery shopping or something of that nature. Well, listen, check it against Scripture, but there may well not be anything in Scripture that specifically applies to that sort of, uh, to that idea. But that is still something that we ought to be checking. However, we check everything against Scripture. The Bereans, they were held up as examples for doing that. And, you know, I think another good uh, rule of thumb to remind, uh, to be reminded of is to mistrust ideas to mistrust teachings that seem often to correspond with our natural inclinations. This is a good, good reminder of, uh, I, I know that I've, uh, I think somebody had taught that to me once, that generally when what you're hearing goes along with what you already want to do, well, maybe that's, that's something that you ought to check. Because we know throughout Scripture that people... Uh, throughout the Bible, listen far more readily to the teachers who soothe their itching ears. 
And therefore, and the devil loves to give us those messages that do so. So we mistrust that. And therefore, and then we check the fruit and avoid those who are speaking falsely. That is what our responsibility is ourselves as hearers of the word. Here to hear and uh, check the fruit and uh, examine everything against scripture. But our responsibility as teachers is to teach in love, to teach in meekness, to teach with an eye towards the future of the body, to understand that when we have been given the gift of scripture, when we have been given the gift of the spirit of God, when we have been given the spirit or given the gift of the ability to express ourselves, when we have been given the gift of uh, the ability to interact with people around us, we're called to use that gift for God. Let's ourselves be, uh, uh, I know for myself in looking through this, I was uh, further um, uh, convicted of the necessity of having correct uh, motivations, a correct heart when it comes to teaching. This is something, well, our teaching is related to our unity in the body of Christ. It's to edifying, it's to building up. And so, as we go forward, as we go forward, let's be looking for opportunities to teach as we are given opportunity by God to do so. But let's also be preparing ourselves, preparing ourselves by receiving the word, being good students of it, and preparing ourselves to be ready for when we are given an opportunity to render a reason for the hope that lies within us. And uh, as, we, as we go forward, let's do so in that spirit of love that is the motivation for our teaching and for our truth.